Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Niner Sports Talk. I'm your host, Bryson Fossum, the sports editor at the Niner Times, and I'm joined by my main man. Joey Ellsworth, the assistant sports editor here at the Niner Times. Joey, thank you for coming on. We got a lot to talk about today, uh, national sports-wise and Charlotte athletics-wise. Well, it is officially spring, and basketball season has ended with the CBI tournament championship let's dive right into charlotte baseball team coming off a big win last night against radford university 10-0 and that was final in seven innings because it was a run rule let's recap that just briefly cameron fisher started things off in the top of the first with a double to right field and then he would advance the third on a wild pitch and jack dragon would score uh, and so the double for fisher made it 1-0 and then uh, Dragum scoring on the wild pitch made it 2-0. Then Will Butcher had a uh, ground out that was sacrifice uh, to score Fisher, making it 3-0. Then in the bottom of the second, Austin Knight homered to make it 4-0. Jack Dragum homered in the fourth to make it 6-0. Cunningham homered in the fifth to make it 7. Then a Cameron Fisher RBI single scored Dante DeFranco. And Brandon Stallman would end the scoring when he singled to center field, scoring Spencer Nolan and Calvert Clark. 10-0 win, which in college baseball, if you win by 10 runs or you're up, it is a run rule. So Charlotte wins, and with the win, what does the win mean? It means Charlotte's back to 500, 14-14, 5-4 in the CUSA. And it was a successful weekend for Charlotte as well on the road against UAB. They won that series 2-1, to one, and that means Charlotte has won both CUSA Road Series this year. And uh, the, UA, or the Radford game, just a really, really good result. Joey, what are your thoughts on that 10-0 slugfest for Charlotte? They were really hitting it over the fence a lot. Yeah, it was good to see, especially since it evens up their, their overall record. I mean, their, their conference rate record is still positive at 5-4, but... It's good to see, especially since they need a turnaround in this back half of the season to really break away from other teams. And, you know, pitching has been the struggle for this team. And against UAB, and even last night, uh, getting another uh, shutout. Uh, against the UAB series, Wyatt Hudipal, um got to 50 strikeouts on the season, had a really good outing in that first game. And then Donye Evans followed it up in the series finale against UAB. Um, going two and one-third innings with three strikeouts. And that game on Sunday, Charlotte won 5-0. Donye Evans is 2-0 on the season, and that's got to be good to see, wouldn't you say, Joey? This prize guy they went and got out of Vanderbilt, 2-0 and really off to a successful start. Yeah, it's really good, and hopefully they can carry the momentum into the upcoming series when they play number 24 UTSA. Yeah, and then, you know, when you really look at it, we'll preview that UTSA series. Again, a driving force that we've talked about is Cam Fisher. Um, And, you know, he was at 15 home runs going into last night's game, really at at a high level. Um, And it's just crazy that he continues every time to get up and be reliable for this team. Uh, He is tied for third in the nation uh, in in home runs. Really been a successful um, season as well. Third in the nation is crazy. Um, and, you know, in the last two games in that series against UAB, he was 0 of 6, which broke a 10-game hitting streak for him. He still homered it in that first game, 
But uh, last night, you look at Cam Fisher, look at what he did, two for three. Uh, but, yeah, so he, you know, really did well last night, get back on track. Um, Joey, just, just give us an overview about Cam Fisher's performance. What does he mean to this team? And it's really got to be cool. I know we mentioned every week to have a guy that can go yard at any point in time makes it hard to prepare and makes pitching staff pitching staffs kind of aware of what Charlotte has. Yeah, he's been really a stand-up player for Charlotte, especially among his teammates. He leads in batting average, OPS, uh, runs, hits, home runs, just slug percentage, just about everything, and even doubling some most players. Uh, he actually bring he really brings something for teams to look out for, and I would say helps his teammates just by bringing attention from the pitching staff and takes the weight off of other batters as well. Yeah, and, and you talk about that where he, you know, helps the other batters. If one's hitting well, you know, it's just going to be contagious. Uh, Jack Dragon is one that I think has benefited from this. Um, you know, last night um, he played really, really well. He's up to 271 batting. Uh, he's got 25 uh, hits coming into last night's game. Uh, but now he's had a six-game hitting streak uh, with the Radford game. And just some big performances. Against Gardner-Webb last week, he had four hits. Uh, in one of the games against UAB, uh, he had three hits. Um, that was that first game. And then last night, he was able to get one, which was a home run. Jack Dragon's played really, really well lately. Really fun to see. Uh, and this team, too defensively is really, really fun to watch. They're a great fielding team. There's 17 players um, with a fielding percentage of 1.000, which is outstanding. This team only has 21 errors this season, um, and it's just been really fun to watch. This team defensively is some uh, – they're a menace. They're hard to deal with, and they're hard to prepare for. Let's look at this weekend, the big matchup for Charlotte. They host number 24 UTSA at Robert and Marion Hayes Stadium. Let's give an overview of the UTSA Roadrunners. Like we said, a top 25 team. Charlotte really has only played against a couple, but the last time Charlotte played against a team that was in the top 25, it was number four South Carolina. And we saw that how that happened at Truist Field. Charlotte went on to win uh, that one. So this has got to be really exciting. Anytime you got a big time opponent coming in to face you, man, you got to come prepared. And I think this team's super excited to have that opportunity. Joey, uh, what do you think about this matchup this week? Um, and you know, how do you think Charlotte will fare? Charlotte has momentum on their side, coming off of a two game win streak, and they they can use it with their very formidable opponent coming up, especially since they haven't seen a win against UTSA since 2021, and they've lost four straight since. But all have been, or two, the most recent two have been on the closer side. So, hopefully, the momentum can keep them in the game, and actually get them at least a couple wins. So let's look at this UTSA team by the numbers: 23 and seven, eight one in the CUSA. Now, that record was 23-6 and six last night. They're coming off a loss to Incarnate Ward. So you know that this team's motivated. They want to get back on track. Just some star players, some people to watch for. Antonio Valdez is really the leader for that team, batting 398, 45 hits, 8 homers, 41 ribbies, and a .735 slugging 
percentage, elite numbers. They have eight players over 300, which you can just tell that they're able to get hits from multiple places in the lineup. And just some here, Caleb Hill's batting .352, Shane uh, Serdashny batting .342, and Leighton Berry batting .339. Some really, really good hitters in this lineup. And, you know, we talked about Charlotte's pitching is getting it together at the right time because they have a big matchup against the hitters' row. Uh, It's going to be fun to watch this weekend. Joey, let's give some predictions. How do you think Charlotte fares? I'll give you the floor first. What you got? I think they I think they'll pull away with one win of the three game series. I uh, I kind of agree with you on that. Um, but to be honest, I don't know. There's just something about the Charlotte team I like. I think UTSA, a lost incarnate ward is one of those that when you face an inferior opponent and you lose, um, it can do either one or two things. It can defeat you or you can grow from it. And, and I think that it's one of those losses UTSA didn't see coming. And I think the 49ers will win the series. It'll be 2-1. to one, um, But I think uh, Robert Woodard and company have got this team playing really well. And I think that uh, they'll be able to take it. So moving from Robert and Marion Haig Stadium across the street to Sue M. Dodger Stadium, home of Charlotte Softball. So Charlotte Softball, look at the numbers, 22-14 and 14 overall, 9-3 and three in the CUSA. And, Joey, you know where that puts them. Number one. Number one, baby. That's nice to see. Let's look at Charlotte softball. Winners of three straight. Last Wednesday, a loss to UNCG 4-2. And then on that Friday in a series where they went up to Bowling Green, a loss to Western Kentucky. But they were able to win the final two games against Western Kentucky, outscoring the Hilltoppers 17-3. And then a win over Coastal last night, 5-1, and a grand slam was the main catalyst in that in that game. Let's uh, recap it a little bit uh, on Charlotte's trip down to Myrtle Beach uh, in Conway, South Carolina. Uh, well, it started with Coastal getting on the board in the third inning when Diamond Williams uh, lined out. That was a sacrifice line out uh, to score um, the first run of the game. That was Livy Payne that came across. And then Kaya Garrett came up in the top of the fourth and homered a grand salami to make it 4-1, to one, a big one. And then Charlotte kept things going in the top of the seventh with Anna Devereaux, double to left field uh, to score Corey Hoffler. Um, that was the end of the scoring. Charlotte wins 5-1. to one. Joey, biggest takeaways from Charlotte's commanding win over the Chanticleers. I think the biggest takeaway is that their highlight players, such as Vinoy, Krupit, those big names are not the only people who get stuff done as Garrett and Devereaux have not seen nearly as much time playing with Garrett having only 41 at-bats this season and Devereaux only having 43. They can reach pretty down deep into the lineup if they need to to come away with big plays. And it has proven proven well for them as they continue to go on a winning streak. They're now at three. Yeah, I think you're so right about that. You know, Kaya Garrett and Anna Devereaux, Two players that had kind of big roles last year doing really well in those limited at-bats. And, you know, these are two players that um, I think, you know, with new talent coming in, 
they might have known that, hey, our role's not going to be the same, but when we get these opportunities, got to make the most of them. And they really have Garrett batting 317, Devereaux batting 302. Um, and, you know, you, you really talked about that. Only 41 at-bats for Garrett, 43 for Devereaux. But, hey, it's not how many chances you get. It's what you do with them, wouldn't you say? Exactly. And I think that uh, Charlotte really, really – uh, something that they've missed is maybe that depth in the last two seasons, um, and it's going to be exciting. But this weekend, I think they really have a chance to send a message in this USA. You know, they're already 9-3 and three in first place, but they play a very, very solid Middle Tennessee State University team that has had a good season, 24-10, and 5-4. And, four. and um, I know you got some players here. Laura Mailer leads – um, the Blue Raiders batting 438, 49 hits, 33 ribbies, six homers. They have three players over 400. So Miller, of course. Then they've got Shelby Eccles and Amaya Harris. And then uh, pitching wise, Cameron Carcisi and Gretchen Mead. Really, really good pitchers for this team. Carcisi uh, batting one or uh, has a 1.92 ERA, or Mead has a 1.93 ERA. So both very low. They combine for 113 strikeouts. Joey, when you look at this MTSU team, what do you think that they will bring to the table this weekend against Charlotte? I think they have a lot of talent here and there, especially with Mueller, whose 430 batting average is only second to Charlotte's own Madeline Wright in CUSA. But Charlotte has the momentum on their side coming off a three-game win streak while MTSU has lost their previous two games. And I think with uh, Charlotte's win... Two wins over WKU, putting them in first place, really uh, puts them in the spotlight and makes them the team to beat. And so I think MTSU is going to have to really find something successful to put over Charlotte. I definitely agree with you. And you know what's really cool to see is that when you get a great offensive team versus a great defensive team, Charlotte is definitely that. Um, Looking at their home run numbers, 48 on the year, and their opponents have only had 27 against them. Um, and, and, Joey, you know, there's two names that are at the top of that list, uh, Krupit and Vinoy. Krupit batting 381, Vinoy batting 320. Uh, Vinoy leads the team 10 homers, uh, 26 ribbies um, is second place on the team. To Krupit, who's batting, you know, 381, like we said, six homers, 30 RBIs, 45 hits. Um, you know, these top two hitters that are so important to Charlotte. What do they need to do this weekend to help Charlotte win this series and continue their hot streak in conference play? This is a big-hitting team. They lack hits compared to other teams. I believe they're last in CUSA for hits on the year, but their home runs significantly outweigh any other team, and I think these these big hits is what Charlotte thrives with. And until they find some way to get more hits, I think relying on their Big hit players such as Vanilla and Krupa is going to be their strategy to win on the batting end. I think you're so right into those numbers. Charlotte has 251 hits to their opponents who have 259. So they're in a deficit there. But you know what's scary about a team? It's a team that can get these big hits. And you know that if you're a pitcher, you got to be really careful where you place the balls on the strike zone because if you put it right down the middle, that ball will be gone. Um, and it'll, you know, you never see it again. Uh, so it's definitely going to be interesting to see. Also, uh, you know, a player that I kind of want to spotlight is Corey Hoffler, someone who kind of had a slow start to the season, getting it together, batting 250, 23 hits, uh, and six home runs. 
uh, Corey, one of those pieces that has been so vital to this team over the years. Um, and to see her getting back up top, fighting through that slow start is really cool to see. And it also shows that Charlotte was playing really well when she was trying to find her way, and now she's starting to get back up there. Joey, that's got to be a scary thought for opponents. Being like, man, this Charlotte team's already good, and now they're getting one of their best pieces hot at the right time. Yeah, it's it's been a slow start for Hoffler this year, but she's really been turning around the last three games. She has four hits in her eight at-bats, as well as two runs and a home run. It's really nice to see her starting to get back to her normal self, putting up two RBIs in that in that streak of time. It's definitely another piece to Charlotte's arsenal that's going to really frighten opponents on any level. And let's also highlight Ashley Washington nearing that 300 mark. Somebody that, you know, showed a lot of talent, showed uh, spots where, man, she could be really talented. And she's just showed out this year. Really cool to see. And it's been a great piece to really watch progress for this team. Um, 289, really, really getting close. And also, too, you know, Ella Chauncey batting 242, another player like Hoffler, uh, been a slow start, but they're both getting it together. Uh, it's just, just really interesting to see. But we say all that to say this. Joey, one question for you. What is the ceiling for this team? We've been in this spot before. Last year, a similar spot. They were very talented, had a great record, and things just fell apart after that UNCG game. What's the ceiling for this team? Did they finally get over that hump? You know, Ashley Chastain just got her 100th career win. That's got to feel great. But where does this team go from here? Charlotte does have a tendency of taking good momentum and slipping it away and falling into a losing streak. But when you talk about the ceiling for this team, it is as high as it comes. It is as high as any other team in the conference, and they have a good chance of winning it all with the talent that they have as long as they can keep that momentum. You talked about Washington. Yeah, Washington doesn't get as many opportunities as others because she is a designated hitter, but when she does, she is efficient with it. You'll see a lot of games where she only have one chance to get an at-bat, but she will execute and get a hit. Especially lately, she's been getting more opportunities and executing on them. And it's just players like these who even the not as notable players, the names you don't hear as often, still have a lot of potential in them, and putting that all together and a pitching staff that also has potential. This team can win it all. They have it in them. Yeah, and, you know, I think they're definitely a favorite to win the conference. Um, they always are. It's just about putting it together, like you said, and, you know, executing when you get those opportunities, which they've done well. If they can win Conference USA, they will make the NCAA tournament. I think that's not a pipe dream at all. I think that's a very true reality that could happen. They just got to put it together. It's going to be interesting to see. I do think this team uh, has a good shot to win conference. It'll be interesting to see where they go. And this team has proven it because they've taken on a very difficult schedule outside of conference, several ranked teams, but they have proved that they can play along with them. I mean, they failed to beat Stanford, but they they came within one run in the second game. They beat number 13, Georgia, they they beat number 23, Arizona State. They can prove that they can play alongside and compete against very notable teams and high-ranked teams. And I think taking on these challenges is going to help them in the long run, especially 
if they go on to the tournament. And, you know, every time I've spoken to Coach Chastain, it's always something she prides herself on. Hey, we want to play these tough opponents because we know if we want to go far in the postseason, you know, we have to have these opportunities. We have to play top talent, and she's really, really done that. Charlotte softball, MTSU this weekend, going to be a fun series to watch. Let's get into some other sports. Let's talk about Charlotte track and field. Big week for them. My Singletary wins CUSA track and field female track athlete of the week. And Riley Feltz wins CUSA uh, track and field women's field athlete of the week. Riley Feltz has been on a tear. Let's talk about how they won these awards. Charlotte Junior Sprinter Singletary competed in the 400 meters. This was at the Pepsi Relays Uh, the Pepsi Florida relays over the weekend, and she finished at a 51.73. Singletary's time was fast enough to earn a program record in the women's 400 meters, which broke her previous record. Singletary came in fifth in that event, and Riley Feltz has been unreal. Also, if you want to read more about her story, pick up an edition of the Niner Times. We have a nice uh, story in there that our opinion editor, Jess Denisi, wrote about Riley Feltz has been on a tear. Three weeks in a row, she's broken the program pole vault record. Um, and that's just a great feat. At the Verticlass at High Point, she had a fault of 4.42 meters, uh, which broke the program record. Like we said, third consecutive week, she at the Weems Baskin Invitational, it was a 4.35 meters. And then at the 49er uh classic which is here in charlotte a 4.39 meter so she continues to get higher and higher and is doing really really well and also some other uh, program records set at the pepsi relays over the weekend the men's shuttle relay team broke an 11 year school record of 58.75 punching in an astonishing time of 57.96 that was deandre hayes sydney littlejohn justin leeson and samuel thompson um those four Guys did a really, really good job there. And a national ranking for this team, the number 30 in the nation. Let's talk about men's and women's tennis. 4-0 weekend. Both teams were 2-0. and uh, Really good weekend for men's and women's tennis. The men's team beat East Tennessee State University and Georgia State. And this weekend, they're home against Elon and number 33 VCU. Chance for a big win there. And the women's team beat East Tennessee State University and Furman. A uh, couple notable things here. That's the first program win for the 49ers over Furman, the Paladins. And the team is number 41 in the nation. Uh, and on April 6th, they're at James Madison and then versus VCU on the 15th. Lucio Quitero won Athlete of the Week. So really good things going on. And let's talk about golf. Last two events for the women's golf team. My Samuelson was second at the Georgia State Invitational. That was on March 28th. And the team came in second at that event. Really, really good finish there. Kyra Moodley recorded a top 10 at the Bruzzy this past weekend. Team finished 12th. And the CUSA Championships are next for this team. And then the men's tennis team was 10th at the Linger Longer Invitational. Next two events, Mason Rudolph and CUSA Championships are the next two weekends. So the team looking to finish strong. Joey, what are your thoughts on all those teams? Really cool to see Charlotte, the whole body of work. The spring is always a great time. It was successful last year. Looks like the teams are picking up right where they left off. Yeah, it was good to see uh, men's golf uh, really pull it down to 10th when they finished 13th in the first round and 14th in the second. But women's golf did not see as much progress as 
usually when they do start off on the rougher side, they tend to pull it back and come closer to the higher positions. But this past weekend, they started fifth after the first round, tied for fifth, then they fell down to 12th, which was un- uncharacteristic for the team. They don't normally fall so far in the span of a day, but it could just be a one-off thing. They haven't showed that they slip like that normally, so I wouldn't really put too much focus on it. Yeah, especially after that second-place finish. I mean, really, really good run there, Georgia State, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and now they have the CUSA tournament coming up, so I think they'll be right back to their normal selves and put their full focus on the upcoming weekend. Yeah, I mean, tennis, golf, track and field, all those sports deserve a lot more coverage uh, than they get, and that's something we really pride ourselves as covering. Just just really cool to see how successful everything has been. Uh, just really, really fun to watch. Well, let's get into the national sports scene. Let's talk about the final four, men's and women's. Um, really great weekend. UConn is the national champion on the men's side. Let's talk about how they won it. Uh, San Diego State and FAU kicked things off on Saturday. FAU led the whole way until a buzzer beater by San Diego State punched their ticket to the national title game. Great run by FAU. CUSA won the CBI, the NIT, and was one of the finalists in March Madness. And then UConn has really, really been dominant. Uh, One of the few teams to win every game by 10-plus. And they did that against Miami, 72-59 result. And then the national title game, UConn led the whole way, dominant to the end. The Huskies won 76-59 for the fifth title in program history. And then on the women's side, very good weekend as well. LSU took care of uh, Virginia Tech. That was the first game on Friday night in the Final Four. LSU would await their opponent in the most anticipated game on the women's side all year long. Iowa and South Carolina, the undefeated Gamecocks, and the, who are the number one team in the nation, the number one seed in the whole tournament, and Iowa, the number two seed. It did not disappoint. Caitlin Clark went off for 41 points, and the Hawkeyes, in a David and Goliath-type story, knocked off the Gamecocks to meet the LSU Tigers in the final. And in the final, Iowa just sadly ran out of gas. It's one of those things when you beat a top team like that, it's hard to follow it up. And the Tigers took advantage. Angel Reese led the way. And the LSU Tigers are the national champion. They're first in program history. Joey, what are your thoughts on both of these games? Kim Mulkey and Bobby Hurley, both of their teams, played really well. UConn and LSU, kind of an unorthodox pairing but really, really fun to see. Yeah, it's just, for men's bracket, it's just been a crazy, crazy month. A lot of upsets, and no one expected a fifth seed to face a fourth seed in the final, mm-hmm. and that's what happened. And UConn slowly made their way through on the quieter side. Not as many people expected UConn to go the way, and they did, and they dominated the whole bracket. While on the women's side... LSU took down Iowa in a not-so-close game, it looks like, at a glance at the score. But it, watching the game, it was a close game. There were spans of time where you had no clue who was going to pull through, and Iowa really fought at certain periods of the game but couldn't hold it down towards the end, and LSU pulled away. But both games were intense. Both brackets were intense. It was 
March Madness for sure. And, you know, your point about UConn, they started the season red hot. They were a top team, and people were like, man, they can win this national title. But as the season went on, they went through some some tough stretches, got it together, um, you know, and then the Big East Championship just didn't get the result that, that they wanted. Marquette uh, went on to win that one, but they put it together. And, you know, in the NCAA tournament, men's and women's, you got to win six games. And UConn did that, and, man, they just dominated the field. Uh, and on the women's side, you're so right. It was such a close game at points. LSU got out to an early lead, but Iowa fought back. They made it single digits. It looked like that was going to be, uh, you know, a fight to the end, and then LSU pulled away. Um, but, you know, an icon in sports is stepping away. It was Jim Nance's final NCAA tournament. So if you watched any men's NCAA tournament game, any big game over the years, it's been Jim Nance. Um, and Jim Nance got to experience his one shining moment uh, in Houston on Monday night. Really sad to see him go. For me, it's been childhood memories listening to Jim Nance. Um, and so his legacy will carry on. But he's still working because he's got the Masters this weekend, which we'll talk more about. Uh, let's move into the NBA playoff push. Joey, things are getting close. The playoffs start on April 11th. Six days away, and, um, you know, the, the NBA playoff system is a little different than it used to be. The first six seeds clinch, and then seven, eight, nine, and ten play in the play-in. And so that'll be the seven and the eight seed and the nine and the ten seed. Whoever wins uh, the seven and the eight will become the seven seed, and then whoever wins the nine and ten will face the eight seed, um, and whoever wins that gets the final seed. Uh, let's look at the Eastern Conference. Milwaukee Bucks, first place, 57-22. and 22. And the Boston Celtics in second place, 54-25. and 25. Celtics three games back. There's still a possibility, but um, looks like the Bucks are going to clinch that. But the Celtics put the whooping on the Bucks last week, didn't they, Joey? Yeah, but Bucks have clinched the first seed, so they get a easier ticket into the playoffs and through the playoffs, and I think they are the team to beat this season. Yeah, you know, that game against the Celtics definitely is going to leave a bad taste in their mouth. They're saying, man, we want them in the playoffs. Then the three seed, the Sixers. The four seed, the Cavs. 50 and 30 for Cleveland. The trade for Donovan Mitchell's worked out. And then you got your boys at the five seed, the New York Knicks. All those seeds have clinched. Um, and the Brooklyn Nets are the six. But they have not clinched that yet. They might have to play in the play in. Um, Although they are one game ahead of the Miami Heat, who are seventh at forty-two and thirty-seven, the Hawks are at eighth with at forty and thirty-nine. The Raptors are at ninth at forty and thirty-nine, and the Chicago Bulls thirty and thirty-eight and forty-one, limping in uh, to the playoffs. But that seven through ten has been clinched. There's nobody below them that can get in it. Joey, what are your thoughts on the play-in? Um, and let's talk about that Nets Heat race. It's heating up for sure. Pun intended. Yeah, the Nets have been consistently in the middle this whole season. Not anything too special, not anything too low, which is not what you would expect from a team with such a high ceiling as the Nets. They have a top team ceiling to them, but they just can't find the rhythm. They continue to fail to find the rhythm, and that's why the Heat actually have a good chance of maybe taking over the Nets and taking that sixth seed. You know, let's talk about the Nets, though. Just a month ago, KD and Kyrie Irving were a part of that team. 
And it really felt like, you know, they, they traded Kyrie to the Mavs, traded KD to the Suns. A lot of people went, oh, here we go. They're going to have to rebuild. They're having to blow it up. That has not happened at all. Um, you know, Mikel Bridges has really shown for them. Cameron Johnson, um, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie. All these guys are really putting it together. And the Nets being at the sixth seed, I wouldn't have seen that coming. And the Miami Heat at seven have really, really underperformed this year. A team that many people forget were in the Eastern Conference Finals a year ago. Um, and they ended up losing there. But Jimmy Butler's a great player. Always fun to watch. And if they get the Atlanta Hawks, you know, that's kind of a rivalry game. They're both in the same division. Uh, Trey Young is such a fun player to watch. And they've got DeJounte Murray, who's somebody they paired with him. 40-39, and 39, they've kind of underperformed. But at the same time, this Hawks team a couple years ago made a run and got to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yep. And speaking of the Nets, I have a question for you. Do you have a pick for the MVP? With time running down, only a few games left in the season, and it's between three big names, Embiid, Antetokounmpo, and who I think might be the favorite so far is Jokic. Yeah, yeah, Nikola Jokic is a good player. Man, it's just so tough. All three of them do things so well. Um, Jokic definitely is the favorite, but if I had to choose, I just... I think Giannis is is that guy. He's really, really performed well. The Bucks are first place right now. Uh, that's that's who my pick would be, um, for sure. And I know with the playoffs coming up, I don't that doesn't have too much of an implication. But I think you've got you know three guys who will play in the playoffs. I have a good shot to say, hey, if if you didn't pick me, you know I'm going to show you up and show you how great I am. Um, but Raptors Bulls, the other match there. Uh, that would be in the play-in. So, Joey, out of the Heat and the Hawks, who you got moving on, and who's going to get the seven seed? Uh, I think the I think the Nets have it in them to keep the six seeds, and I think Heat will pull away with the seven. Yeah, I think the Heat will beat the Hawks, and they'll move on. Um, and then the Hawks, you know, Raptors and Bulls. I don't know, man. Something about the Bulls has made me really, the way they've turned it around, Patrick Beverly's been a big asset for them, believe it or not. I think the Bulls will win it, and then Bulls and Hawks. I don't know, man. I think if you win that play-in game, you've got a good shot. And I'm going to pick the Bulls, surprisingly, to get that eight seed. What are your thoughts? Well, the Bulls and Atlanta just did play yesterday, and Atlanta wiped the floor with them, almost a 20-point victory. So I think I'm going to have to stick with that and go with the Hawks to take 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 over top of them and then outside of that once it gets to the real deal for me you know I think the Bucks will beat the Hawks or will beat the Bulls in my opinion that's who my pick was uh Celtics and Heat I think Boston gets through there and then I think you know Sixers and Nets one of that series will get the Celtics I'll go Philadelphia and then I'll go Cleveland to get Milwaukee and then Milwaukee and Cleveland I'll go Bucks and then uh Celtics Sixers I'm going to go Celtics, and then I'm going to go uh, Celtics to get to the finals, believe it or not. What are your thoughts there? Give me your prediction, one through eight. Well, I think for the most part it was similar. I do have the, the Knicks will pull it over Cleveland. They beat them three out of four games in the regular season, but they, I think either team, whichever wins, will fall to the Bucks. But I have the Bucks taking down Cleve- or the Celtics instead. It's going to be a tough game. I mean, they're both the top two teams and both 
the teams to beat, but I think the Bucks will barely, but I think they'll pull away with it. And then let's move to the Western Conference. Nuggets have clinched the one seed, 52-27. and 27. Memphis Grizzlies are the two. Sacramento is the three. Really cool to see. The beam has been playing off. It has been paying off there for them. And then the Suns have clinched the four, but it's still wide open for the play-in. Warriors are the five seed, 52-38. and 38. But if you look at the Warriors, one of their biggest struggles has been on the road. Nine and thirty on the road, and when they're at home, they're thirty-three and eight. The Clippers are the sixth, forty-one and thirty-eight, uh, but they still might have to play in the play-in, depending on how things go. The seven, the Los Angeles Lakers, forty-one and thirty-eight. The eight is the New Orleans Pelicans, forty and thirty-nine. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves are the nine, forty and forty, and then the Oklahoma City Thunder at ten, thirty-eight and forty-two. But the 11 and 12 teams in the conference, the Mavericks are a game back, 37 and 42. Jazz, 36 and 43, two games back. And so um, that's kind of how things go. Joey, who do you think uh, has to play in the play-in? And do you think anybody from the outside makes it? Or do you think the five or the six, the Warriors and Clippers, are in jeopardy? I don't think it will be a competition between the top 10 teams. I think fighting for that 10th slot will be the Thunder, Mavericks, and Jazz. The Mavericks have it right now. Sorry, the, the Thunder have it right now, but only the, the Mavericks are only 1.5 games behind, and the Jazz are only a game behind that. I think it'll be a close fight. All three teams have potential. The Mavericks, of course, have slipped away a bit since their big trade, but I think they have the fight in them. I think they can take over the Thunder. I think the Jazz have it in them, too but I don't see them overcoming that 2.5-game stretch in such a little time, and I think they will fall out. So I think the Thunder will also miss it, but I think the Mavericks will pull it through. This may shock you, but the Warriors have two games left. Uh, At Sacramento, at Portland. Uh, We just talked about that record, 9-30. and I think the Warriors are going to fall, and they're going to have to play in the play-in. Believe it or not, that's my pick there. I think the Clippers get the five, and I think the Lakers close it up, and they'll be the sixth, but the Warriors will be the seven, and they will have a a contest against, you know, that 10 seed is tough. I would love to see the Mavs make it because I'm a big Luka guy, and the Kyrie Irving move has not paid off, and sadly, I don't think they're going to make it. I think that the Thunder are going to lock it up, and they'll be the ten. So for me, the Warriors are the seven, the Pelicans the eight, the Timberwolves the nine, and Oklahoma City at ten. And then my predictions here, so Golden State and uh, New Orleans, I'm going to pick the Warriors uh, to win that one. And then um, Timberwolves, Thunder, I'm going to pick the T-Wolves to win it. Uh, And then, you know, I think out of that, the Warriors are the seven, and then uh, Pelicans will play. Again, against the Timberwolves, and I think the Pelicans win that one to lock up the eight. What are your thoughts? For the Warriors, it's easy to look at them and think they won't go very far, but it's hard to ignore the history. There's there's a reason why they've been the big dynasty team for the past decade or so. I mean, they've slipped from their glory of years ago, but I think their success in the playoffs cannot be ignored. They play a lot better in the playoffs compared to their regular season. So I think they have a chance of not making it all the way, but putting up a fight, maybe taking on the Suns and taking them down if they finish there. 
but I don't see them beating Denver if they have to face them. Or, yeah, I don't think that it would be Denver if they fall back and have to play Denver. I think they will beat the Suns if they play them. Denver, I see making it to at either the finals itself or the game before because I think the Sacramento Kings are a quieter threat. I mean, not as many people see... And they're super young. Yeah, not as as many people see the Kings as the big threat, but they have 121 points per game, putting them first in the conference, first in the league, with the Celtics three points behind as the closest team, and the Warriors also three points behind. I think they have a chance of quietly making their way through and making it to the finals. I think it'll be between them and Denver. Denver was by far the favorite for a long time. They had a huge gap between any other Western team, but as the season has got closer to the end, it's been tighter and tighter now. They're only two games ahead of the Grizzlies, two four games ahead of the Kings, so I think it's going to be a fight between Nuggets and the Kings, and I'll give it to the Nuggets to pull through with it, but I think it'll be close. Yeah, you know, the Nuggets, so... There's always this rule that happens. Uh, it's called the 40-20 rule. I don't know if you've heard of this. If you win your 40th game before you lose your 20th game, uh, that means you're a favorite for the title. Only three teams have done that this season. Uh, the Nuggets, the Bucks, and the Celtics. Um, and I think that Denver is one of those teams, man, it's hard to trust them in the playoffs because – they have gotten so close so many times, but I think they win that first matchup, and I think that they'll um, get to meet, you know, the Suns and the Clippers. That's what I had. Uh, I'm going to pick the Suns to win. Nuggets and Suns going to be a good game. I honestly think that if KD gets healthy, which is a big question mark, I think the Suns will beat the Nuggets. And then, um, you know, but I just don't know if he's going to, and he's kind of unreliable. So I'm going to pick the Nuggets to get to the Western Conference. Then on the bottom half, um, Grizzlies and Lakers going to be good. I'm going to go Grizzlies. Kings and um, actually no, Kings and Lakers is who who I had. Uh, you know, I'm going to pick the Kings, and then the uh, Grizzlies would get the Warriors. Great series there. I'm going to pick the Warriors to win it. Uh, and then you got the Kings and the Warriors. Um, I think that the Warriors will get past them. Nuggets, Warriors, Western Conference Final, and then we'll go Denver Nuggets to get to the final. So Denver-Milwaukee is who I got. I'm going to pick Milwaukee to win it. I believe I had the same Denver-Milwaukee, and I also have Milwaukee to win it all. Yep, and that's kind of where we are. NBA playoff going to be really fun to see. Uh, Quickly, let's go over the Masters. It starts this weekend. Scotty Scheffler has to be the favorite. He's last year's winner, number one in the world. Um, And a couple other notables uh, to watch when you're at home this weekend. Rory McElroy. We finished second last year, and he's number two in the world. Hideki Matsuyama, also someone who has always performed well at the Masters. He's 14th last year. That's where he finished. John Ram, number three in the world. He tied for 27th last year, and you got to know he wants to make that up. Some other ones, Justin Rhodes, Justin Rose, Patrick Reed, Phil Mickelson, one of the greatest to ever do it. Shane Lowry, who tied for third in the Masters last year. Jason Day, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, and Zach Johnson. Uh, who do you got to win it, Joey? I think I'm going to go with Rory McIlroy, get over the hump, and win the Masters. I agree. I think he'll pull it away. 
yeah, I think it's going to be really fun to see uh, this weekend. Got a lot of action-packed sports, NBA playoffs, got the Masters, uh, March Madness is over with that, and you got Charlotte Athletics. What more could you ask for? All right, ladies and gentlemen, that'll be all the time we have today. Joey, thank you for stopping by. Thank you for having me. The main man himself, Joey Ellsworth. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we've got. We will see you next week on the Niners Sports Talk.